Back to Basics, Laser Safety, by Lisa Spruce. Abstract. Surgeons use lasers for a variety of inpatient and outpatient procedures. Perioperative nurses should have a basic understanding of the physics involved in producing the beam of energy and the risks associated with laser use. Although perioperative laser safety is the responsibility of all personnel involved in a laser procedure, healthcare facility leaders can implement certain strategies, for example, creating a laser safety committee with a laser safety officer, to help team members mitigate risk. This Back to Basics article reviews the history of lasers and identifies safety issues that perioperative nurses may encounter during laser procedures. It also discusses ways to prevent adverse outcomes associated with laser use and provides resources for additional information. By reviewing this article, perioperative nurses and leaders should be able to identify gaps related to laser safety that may be present in their organizations. Historians credit Theodore Maiman for the creation of the first laser when he used an electrical source to energize a solid ruby and published the resulting information in 1960. Since that time, lasers have become more complex and have many medical and surgical uses. One component of a simple laser is the laser medium, the atoms of one or more elements that are stimulated and determine the laser's wavelength. Scientists name a laser based on its medium, for example, argon and dieg diode. Other components of a simple laser system include an electrical source and the two parallel mirrors that enclose the medium. The mirror at the back of the laser only reflects energy, while the one at the front partially reflects and partially transmits energy. The electrical source excites the medium until the number of atoms in the excited state exceeds the number of atoms in the grounded state. When the medium is active, photons are released in all directions. A small subset of these photons travels along the center of the laser system and join together between the mirrors. The mirror at the back reflects the photons and the partially transmitting mirror at the front allows the photons to form a powerful cohesive beam of laser light to be released. When a laser beam interacts with human tissue, the reaction depends on the tissue's properties, such as water content, heat conductivity and capacity, density, structure, and the ability to scatter, absorb, or reflect the applied energy. The properties that play a role in the laser's interaction with tissue are its wavelength, energy, density, and power. Surgeons use several different types of lasers in surgery, including ND-YAG, erbium-YAG, holium-YAG, carbon dioxide, CO2, diode, and argon. Physicians and surgeons in a variety of specialties, for example, urology, oncology, cardiology, neurology, ophthalmology, dermatology, use lasers during procedures. Technological advancements related to laser use during minimally invasive procedures have led to improved patient outcomes and shorter recuperation times. As laser technology continues to evolve, the number of procedures for which lasers may be used should increase, offering surgeons new ways to perform these procedures with safer patient outcomes. Although the AORN, Guideline for Safe Use of Energy Generating Devices, currently includes information on the safe use of lasers, 
AORN is revising this guideline into two standalone guidelines, one of which will address lasers and laser safety. Perioperative nurses should refer to the appropriate guideline when designing safety policies and procedures for patients and perioperative team members. Additionally, perioperative nurses should consult the American National Standards Institute, ANSI, and the Laser Institute of America for resources. For example, Z136.3 from 2018, American National Standard for Safe Use of Lasers in Healthcare, that contain in-depth information on the use of lasers in the healthcare setting. How-To Guide Laser safety measures are based on the relative hazards of the laser being used in the healthcare facility. The level of laser radiation to which a person, under normal circumstances, may be exposed without hazardous effects is called maximum permissible exposure. The nominal hazard zone, NHZ, refers to the space within which the level of direct, reflected, or scattered radiation during normal operation exceeds the applicable maximum permissible exposure. Laser hazard classifications are based on the amount of laser radiation that can reach patients or team members, and ANSI provides a list of requirements related to the hazards of each laser class. For example, a Class I laser system is incapable of forming harmful laser exposure during use, so measures to prevent laser exposure are not necessary. Safety controls depend on the laser class, which is most often determined by the manufacturer. When perioperative laser safety operators, LSOs, select control measures, they should consider v. 1. Capability of the laser to injure a patient or perioperative team member. 2. Environment in which the laser will be used. 3. Personnel or patients who may be exposed to laser radiation. And 4. Delivery system of the laser. Knowledge of these characteristics helps LSOs and perioperative nurses take the appropriate safety control measures specific to the wavelength of the laser to prevent dermal, corneal, and retinal injuries. Safety control measures help minimize the hazards associated with laser use and are divided into engineering controls, administrative and procedural controls, and protective equipment. The manufacturer should supply engineering controls for each laser. Additionally, equipment controls, such as using a guarded switch to prevent accidental laser activation, using only compatible accessories, labeling according to ANSI guidelines, and performing safety audits, are some additional safety measures that perioperative personnel should implement in their facilities. The ANSI standard provides a complete list of engineering controls to be used as necessary depending on laser type. Administrative controls provide the structure for the facility's laser safety program. These controls generally include requirements for LSOs, policies, required documentation for audits and reports, and competency information. Procedural controls include the appropriate signage, use of exhaust ventilation during plume generation, examination and use of laser protective eyewear, LPE, and designation of a specific laser operator for laser procedures. Laser eye protection is considered protective equipment for both patients and perioperative personnel. Appropriate LPE for personnel includes face shields, barriers, 
eyeglasses, goggles, or windows. Information on the wavelength against which the LPE is effective and any applicable manufacturer recommendations on shelf life, storage, and cleaning must accompany it. Clothing, gloves, and gowns can provide skin protection, but should be considered the last line of defense against laser hazards and only should be used when other laser hazard protection cannot be ensured using administrative or engineering controls. The patient's eyes need to be protected if they could potentially be located in the NHZ. The method of patient eye protection is determined based on the intended target, the tissue being targeted, the laser delivery system and wavelength, the patient position, and the type of anesthesia being administered. Patient eye protection options include goggles, corneal shields, eyeglasses, or wet eye pads or cloth towels placed over the eye area. The LSO is responsible for determining which method of eye protection will be most effective. Laser protective eyewear must be labeled with the optical density and wavelength that matches the laser being used. Personnel should select LPE based on the 1. Laser Manufacturer's Protective Eyewear Specifications 2. Wavelength of the Laser Emission 3. Optical Density of the Eyewear 4. Radiant Exposure Limits 5. Need for Corrective Lenses 6. Restriction of Peripheral Vision and 7. Comfort and Fit Additionally, clean protective eyewear must be available, for example, at the entrance to a room in which a laser is in use, and it should be inspected for damage and scratches before use and removed from use if damaged. Laser shutters or filters with the appropriate optical density should be used on microscopes and microscope accessory oculars. These help to protect the laser user from exposure to the laser. Another laser safety concern is the risk of fire because lasers are an ignition source. A retrospective chart review analyzed complications in 704 laryngeal surgery patients who had been treated with the CO2 laser. Although all patients received general anesthesia with intubation, some received both inhalation and IV agents, and others only received IV agents. There were 127 adverse events, with 92 instances of broken tracheal cuff, 8 instances of sparks, and 27 instances of dense smoke or a burning odor. There were no fires or explosions. The authors concluded that fire risk precautions should be taken during procedures in which a CO2 laser is in use, including inflating the endotracheal tube with water instead of air. Perioperative personnel can use several actions to mitigate fire risk associated with laser use. When the procedure requires a laser fiber, for example, endoscopic laser procedures, perioperative personnel should avoid placing stress on the fiber so it does not break. Anesthesia professionals should use laser-resistant endotracheal tubes, ETTs, when the laser procedure involves the airway and should inflate the ETT cuff with methylene blue-tinted saline or normal saline for any laser procedure in the airway or the upper gastrointestinal tract. In addition, anesthesia professionals should place moistened packs around the ETT and keep them moist, and also should use the lowest possible level of oxygen for these procedures. Facility leaders should ensure that there is a written protocol on airway management, including airway fires, 
and that their staff members know where the policy is located and how to put the identified plan into action. The leaders also should ensure there is adequate exhaust ventilation and management of waste anesthetic gases from the surgical field. Surgeons and perioperative personnel should address the risk of fire related to the presence of methane gas near the laser site. For example, patient preparation related to diet, covering perineal region with wet cotton. The AORN, Guideline for a Safe Environment of Care, recommends that the perioperative RN collaborate with perioperative team members to complete a fire prevention assessment as part of the preoperative briefing process. The fire prevention assessment should identify the parts of the fire triangle, that is, fuels, ignition sources, oxidizers, that will be present during the procedure and any actions the team member should implement to prevent a fire. Perioperative team members select interventions based on the results of the assessment. The following is a list of potential interventions, not all of which may be needed. 1. Place the laser in a location that does not put stress on the electrical cord. 2. Keep the electrical cord dry and free of kinks, knots, and bends. 3. Inspect the laser cord before use, and do not use it if there is any evidence of breaks, nicks, or cracks in the outer insulation coating. 4. Only the person controlling the laser beam should activate the laser. 5. Do not activate the laser in the presence of flammable agents until the solutions are dry and vapors have dissipated. For example, alcohol-based skin prep antiseptics, tinctures, defatting agents, collodion, petroleum-based lubricants, phenol, aerosol adhesives, uncured methyl methacrylate. 6. Place the laser in standby mode when it is not in active use. 7. Use a laser-resistant endotracheal tube during upper airway procedures. 8. Place wet sponges around the endotracheal tube cuff if the laser is being operated in close proximity to the endotracheal tube. 9. Fill the endotracheal tube cuff with tinted solutions, for example, methylene blue, during laser procedures involving the patient's airway or aerodigestive tract. 10. Keep moist sponges, towels, and drapes around the surgical site for all laser procedures. 11. Keep wet towels and saline on the sterile field during all laser procedures. 12. Verify that water or saline and the appropriate type of fire extinguisher are immediately available before using the laser. 13. During perineal surgery, use moistened radiopaque sponges to cover or pack the anus. 14. Use the laser according to the manufacturer's instructions for use and applicable professional guidelines. And 15. Use water-soluble lubricants, for example, eye lubricant, near the surgical site. Perioperative team members should place appropriate labels and signage at all entrances to the NHZ, where they will be easily seen. These labels and signs are specific to the laser being used and should adhere to the ANSI standards. Benefit Patients can benefit from laser surgery techniques to treat disease and correct aesthetic conditions because laser surgery allows them to receive care that is less invasive and potentially return to normal activities more quickly 
than if lasers were not used. Although there is a risk of injury when surgeons and other physicians use lasers, perioperative nurses who follow the standards set forth by ANSI and AORN recommendations should be able to provide safe and high-quality care to patients when using lasers. Strategies for Success One of the most important recommendations for leaders of healthcare facilities that are using lasers, either owned or contracted, is to develop, establish, and maintain a laser safety program. The steps involved in instituting such a program are as follows. 1. Facility leaders should delegate authority over and responsibility for the laser safety program to an LSO and, if needed, a deputy LSO. The LSO and deputy LSO are responsible for overseeing and evaluating all laser use and ensuring laser safety in the facility. Additionally, the leaders may assign a laser safety site contact or a laser safety specialist for the facility if needed. 2. Facility leaders should form a laser safety committee to provide guidance on laser activity, assist with policy and procedure development, and enforce operations. The committee should be interdisciplinary and include the LSO, risk managers, laser users and operators, biomedical engineers, perioperative educators, administrators, anesthesia professionals, and allied health personnel. It may be helpful for this committee to meet quarterly and review the program on an annual basis. 3. The Laser Safety Committee should verify that physicians who operate lasers have completed the required education and are appropriately credentialed. 4. The Laser Safety Program should specify laser use criteria and provide specific protocols for all perioperative team members who will be entering or working in the NHZ to follow. 5. The Laser Safety Program should identify laser hazards and define quality processes. And 6. The LSO should be responsible for monitoring and overseeing the Laser Safety Program, which includes coordinating any laser safety education programs, overseeing implementation of manufacturer's instructions for use, managing laser maintenance and service records, and auditing laser practices. The LSO can also work with perioperative team members and laser safety committee members to manage any reported laser incidents or accidents that occur in the facility and prepare plans of action to prevent recurrence. Wrap-up Lasers use light energy with great precision, allowing surgeons to treat a variety of patient conditions and achieve positive outcomes. With the ongoing advancements in laser technology, surgeons may develop new ways of performing surgery. However, perioperative laser use prevents risks to both patients and personnel. Perioperative nurses should have knowledge of laser safety and follow the guidelines and recommendations from AORN and ANSI to help provide safe patient care with successful outcomes, while also keeping all perioperative team members free from injury.